You are listening to audio from The Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. Hello, podcast listeners. Grace and peace. Brett here, and it's so good to be with all of you. So we are, you might say, beginning again. We're returning to a series titled First Peter Part 3. Uh, you can find parts one and two in our podcast archives. And basically, we're just making our way through the book of First Peter. So there are times uh, where, as a church, uh, we'll jump in, we'll kind of join the like church calendar for things like Advent and Lent. Um, there's other times when we'll do a more like topical series on something that feels timely or needed, like we did with our deconstruction series a while back. And then there's other times where we simply go through a book of the Bible or like a chapter or a section of the Bible. And so I think, you know, all those types of series are important for churches to engage because each of them, I think it just kind of helps form us into Christ-like people, you know, people who are familiar with the scriptures and who can um, incorporate their truth into our lives. So with that in mind, the title of my message is Evangelism Gulp. Like that's literally the title. All caps, Evangelism, dot, 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 gulp. And uh, I'd like to begin with a, kind of a poll of sorts. Now this would work better when I'm live, uh, but you know, we'll just do our best. So here's kind of the, the poll. When I say the word evangelism, what words come to your mind? <laughs> now, just to be clear, for those maybe unfamiliar, evangelism tends to mean something like sharing the gospel or the good news of Jesus with people who do not yet believe. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by people's responses to this. I have my guess as to things coming up in your mind. I mean, maybe for some of you, it's like kind of positive. Um, probably for most of you, not the best words are coming to mind. So just kind of chalk whatever words were coming to mind. Kind of uh, just put those in the back of your mind, and uh, we're going to return to that uh, later. So our primary scripture is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, uh, though we'll be primarily focused on verse 15. Uh, but it reads like this. Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, uh, as I kind of alluded to uh, a minute ago, I suspect there are two groups of people interpreting this passage uh, with us. So the first group are those who kind of hear that passage and feel like, yeah, I should really be sharing my faith in Christ more. Um, maybe you feel somewhat guilty about not doing so, about you know not feeling prepared and ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Um, so there's that's one group. I, I suspect that the second group is probably the larger group, and it would be those who feel um, quite hesitant to, to talk with others, to share with others their faith, um, because they, you know, we just don't want to come across as pushy or judgy. Here's a quote from Christian writer Richard Beck summing up this position uh, super well. He says this, The progressive impulse towards tolerance and inclusion leaves progressive Christians in an awkward position in regards to evangelism, that is, sharing the gospel with nonbelievers. Evangelism smacks of judgmentalism. 
I'm right and you are wrong. Worse, Beck continues, evangelism can tend toward colonialism, the history of white missionaries being sent to save dark pagan savages, end quote. So does that, uh, does that resonate with a few of you and, and maybe help name, give kind of language to what makes you more than a little uncomfortable with this idea of evangelism and um, by extension, a text like this one from 1 Peter 3, which, you know, is pretty easy to read as, as kind of pushing us towards evangelism. So uh, kind of to this, this point that Richard Beck just made, let me start by naming what I think is one um, kind of upside to this more progressive perspective. What I really love and appreciate about it is that it, it certainly places us more in a posture of dialogue with people rather than some sort of full-on, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm the teacher, you're the pupil, and I assume that God has in no way been at work in your culture or life until I arrived. <laughs> like, obviously, that's super problematic. Um, now, having said that, there is somewhat of a shadow side to this perspective as well. Um, this is what theologian Trip Fuller, uh, who is over at the Homebrewed Christianity podcast, um, and he's quite a progressive himself, but it's what he calls uh, liberal laryngitis. Now, he's not referring to political liberalism. He means theological liberalism or theological progressivism, whatever kind of somewhat clunky term you want to use. Um, but basically what Fuller's trying to name is that what can happen is that as we deconstruct, as we you know question the faith and try to be more broad-minded and move away from more simplistic postures like, you know, if you're not a Christian, then you're just hell-bound, you know, all that. Like what can happen is we've we've kind of poked and prodded and deconstructed and asked so many questions that we just might find ourselves after months or years of that in a place where we are somewhat unable to speak of God at all. <laughs> like, heck, we can barely speak to or relate to God ourselves, much less, you know, as Peter says, give a reason for the hope that you have. So what I want to try to do tonight is, is kind of get us back to a place that avoids as best we can um, you know, the shadow sides of these two positions, you know, either a sort of, I'm a genius in all things theological kind of conservatism, or a, I just don't know anything. I can't speak of God at all, you know, kind of Christian progressivism. So um, to do that, what I want to do is really zero in, um, as I mentioned, on verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. And while normally my sermons are completely pointless, tonight I actually have four points actually steps. That's right. Four steps uh, for you. So let's start with the first step. That seems appropriate. Step number one, keep Jesus Lord. Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, let me just go ahead and name that in the end, someone or something will play the role of Lord in our life some value, some goal, some vision of what is good, beautiful, or true will absolutely guide us. Now, I name that because I think in our um, secular age, Christians sometimes can fail to share their faith or, heck, just fail to nurture their own faith at all um, because, you know, we feel somewhat weird about the idea of faith in the first place, you know, so it feels safer, more rational or whatever to just like not take that step, to not 
have faith, to try and have no one as our Lord, though. Um, that's kind of my point, though. We don't actually get that choice, in a sense. Like, someone or something is always already playing the role of Lord in our life. Um, the, the only question is, who or what is it? And how good are they? Uh, I mean, just to use one example, uh, you know, shopping and consuming, that makes a poor Lord. Uh, drug abuse and addiction, uh, that's, a, that's a poor Lord. So, you know, what I think is so beautiful about following Jesus is, is honestly just that he's so good, <laughs> so kind, so full of peace and life that when our image of God in what is good, beautiful, and true is shaped by him, almost inevitably, our own lives become more full of peace, more full of love, more full of joy. Um, In other words, what I'm driving at is choose your Lord wisely. Choose your Lord wisely. Okay, so we start there. We revere Christ as Lord. That's basically what it means to be a Christian. We let go of the other things in culture that are trying to be kind of foisted upon us as our Lord. We revere Christ as Lord. That's step one. Step two, allow people to move toward you. Peter says it like this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Now notice Peter's assumption is not that because we believe Jesus is Lord, we will now proceed to annoyingly stand with bullhorns on street corners and berate others into accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. No, his assumption here is is really that A, we are in some sort of friendship, relationship, connection with people who may not know Christ really well, if at all. Um, And B, Peter assumes that they are doing the asking. Don't try to convince people who aren't moving toward you. Parents, don't try to force the faith on your kids. Live the faith well model the love of Christ well, um, certainly invite them into the rhythms of the faith and then talk to them as they have questions, but, but don't force, don't manipulate, don't guilt trip them into the Christian faith. This is completely counterproductive. In a similar way, church, don't try to force the faith or your theological views on your coworkers, friends, or family Certainly don't argue, moralize, or manipulate. Instead, live beautifully. Pray for them and yourself. And and just see if the Holy Spirit begins to nudge people toward you. When I was uh, going through my own kind of years of deconstruction um, back maybe, I don't know, 2009, 10, 11, there was a season where I was really no longer a committed Christian. I went to church for my kids. I was that guy. Sat on the back row and uh, was quite annoyed by everything going on. Um, but during that time, I continued to get coffee with people, uh, with with even like kind of former Christian mentors and, and such. And, you know, one of the most important things they did in that season for me was they never argued with me. They never tried to convince. They never guilt tripped or manipulated me. Instead, they just modeled the heart and posture of Christ. They listened. They loved. And they let God do the heavy lifting. It was extremely wise. And frankly, it just, it gave me room 
room to process, and it kind of forced me back to God, right? It forced me to do my own business with God because truthfully, in the depths of my own soul, I was doing business with the God I was not sure I believed in. <laughs> so, so that's second. Um, allow people to move toward you. Step three, let your hope speak. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Notice the word Peter uses to describe why someone might be asking you. Notice he does not say, give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the theology that you have, the beliefs that you have, clever arguments, proofs, certainty that you have. That's not what he says, is it? Instead, the word is hope. Give a reason for the hope that you have. If you're a note taker, you can jot this down. People are less persuaded by great arguments than by great hope. We might even expand that to the, uh, the very biblical faith, hope, and love. They're less persuaded by great arguments than by great hope. You see, people can sense where there, or I should say when, there is a, a deeper peace, a deeper hope, a deeper love operating in you. Not just because you're so great, though I'm sure you're fantastic, but it's because you're at, at a very deep level, at a soul level, you're finding rest in the one who made you. You're finding rest in the one who loves you, who, as we talked about at Easter, the one who calls you by name, and who invites you into the great way of love and reconciliation of all people. And that, I mean, that gives you a sense of, yes, hope, but also purpose and meaning. And it's attractive to people who've journeyed long enough to realize that what they're doing isn't working. Also, notice with the word hope that it's deeply, deeply personal and, and thus, it doesn't have to get into like overly elaborate theologies and explanations. In other words, giving people a reason for the hope that you have, um, it's a story. Here's, uh, here's where I was, basically, and here's where I am now, right? That's the story. Here's where I was, here's where I am now, and this is why I'm following Jesus. Like, that's not the same as saying or as Peter encouraging us to, uh, you know, lead them through an in-depth study of the book of Romans and a theology of justification by faith, you know, <laughs> or give them a sermon on the nuances of the word gospel. That's not what he says. Instead, he's just, it's so simple. He's like, in your own words, just explain. Why do you live with hope? That's third. Let your hope speak. Step four. Let your emotional tone be gentleness and respect. As Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 15. So I started this uh, message with a, a kind of poll of sorts. I asked you, what, what comes to mind when I say the word evangelism? And I, I think it's an indication of just how far we as the church have drifted from the spirit of Christ that my hunch is the words that were not mentioned or that were did not come to your mind um, are probably precisely the one Peter names here. You know, when I said the word evangelism and asked, you know, for feedback, um, I, I'm guessing it, you know, gentleness, <laughs> that probably wasn't the first word that came to mind. You know, respect, listening, appreciating our own story and the stories of others that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy, church. 
we so need to be radical again. The word radical means to the roots, to the roots. We so need to return to the roots. We need to to return and learn to revere Christ as Lord to such a degree that his character becomes our character. His spirit becomes our spirit. Oh, church, may we be a gentle and respectful people, a truly Christian people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.